Uh, if you have your Bibles, you won't really need to open them because <laughs> I'm going to go through these fairly quickly. And unlike normally, I am going to keep myself pretty short here. Um, and I want to jump into uh, God's people, the nation of Israel, back in the book of Isaiah. Uh, after, you know, generations of, of uh, long generations for the people of God back there, there were these horrible troubles. And then in Isaiah 40, there's this like shift of emphasis where God is saying to the prophet, uh, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Uh, like the old King James there, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. And I'll just read a couple passages there. Isaiah chapter 40, I'm reading from the NIV. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for that she has received from the Lord's hands double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill shall be made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all mankind will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken this. So suddenly now there's this big shift of emphasis coming to the God's people. They've been through generations of troubles, and now God is telling the prophet, Comfort ye, comfort my people, bring comfort to my people. Now it's strange how he does this, actually. I find this really strange. Uh, he doesn't go out and pray among the people. He just gives them this further word. And the next 20 verses of that chapter are what one uh, theologian has called about uh, the incomparability of God, the incomparability of God. And what goes on there uh, through the next 20 verses or so is the prophet is talking about the awesome, unimaginable strength and power of greatness and greatness of God. Uh, read that in your reflections this coming week. It's really powerful stuff. It's, it, it's, it's uh, brought to the people's light later on in, in, in different chapters in Isaiah 40 as you go on through the end of the book there. But he's talking about the incomparability of God and how God sustains the universe. And, you know, there's passages in there like God, God calls out the stars by number, by name, as if he's got a personal relationship with them. And that's why they come out every night. It's like amazing. And then he, he just, he's just talking about this, and then he contrasts this to the weakness and the, and the frailty of human beings, of the, of the people of God even. And the thing is, he even you know, sort of amps up the, the, the issue by saying not only just people, but nations and superpowers even. So this is that famous passage where we read you know, verses like the nations are as a, Drop in the bucket to God, the nations. Years ago when I was looking into that passage, I found some commentator said that it's like a, a dew drop on the lip of a bucket. <laughs> Compare that to God. And you, and you have this like, st these strange things, you know. I mean, we're talking about nations, not just then, but today. <laughs> the nations are as a drop in the bucket. They're counted as small dust of the balance. Indeed, he goes on, as nothing, as next to nothing. So this is about the incomparability of God. So why is the Isaiah, you know, he starts off, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Then he talks like, what do you mean, you know? Why are we 
Of course we know this. Well, I think they kind of forgot that. And then the prophet moves into those well-known lines of verses 27 that end in the chapter uh, where we read this. Isaiah 27, or Isaiah 40, 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives us strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be faint. They will walk and not be weary. So although Isaiah 40 seems sort of disconnected in these three parts, what's going on here is there's the call for comfort and consolation, a message about the incomparability of God compared to uh, humankind and our strength and feebleness, and then these closing verses about waiting on the Lord. And what he's calling them to mind is that even though you may be weak, even though you may be tired, even though you've had generations of troubles, I'm not weak or weary. And when I say I'm going to give you strength to help you mount up with wings like eagles, I can do that. So don't worry about that, people. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you do that. And I'll bring you the renewed strength and the comfort and the consolation that you're looking for. I am the source, says God. And it will come by waiting on the Lord, which is what we're going to, we're going to do in a few minutes here for the Lord to come amongst us. You see, the people were like Rachel, in, spoken of in Matthew chapter 2, who was weeping for her children and would not be comforted. And now God is going to bring that comfort to his people. Ultimately, we know that that's in Christ. He is the great consolation, not only of the church, but in time of the world. He is, he is our consolation and comfort. He has fulfilled that promise through the cross, through the resurrection, through the power of the Holy Spirit being sent to us in our lives. Now, in verse 31, where some translations have weight on the Lord, some other translations say hope in the Lord. Because, and that's key for today, because that word in the Hebrew there is the same word, and it's interchangeable, and it's an expectant waiting and expecting waiting. That's why some of you will have a translation that says hope in the Lord instead of wait on the Lord. A couple passages, verses real quickly from Hosea that relate to this one in Isaiah. This is Hosea chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Israel has been chastised by the Lord in this passage. And now uh, Hosea is saying to them through the word of the Lord, Like Isaiah was told, tell my people, declare this, says the Lord. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert hmm, and speak tenderly to her. And I will give her back her vineyards and I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. 
There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the day that she came up out of Egypt. So what's going on there is the word tenderly, where it says, I will speak to her tenderly. That's the same word in Isaiah 40, chapter 2, where Isaiah is told, speak tenderly to my people. Now, in the Hebrew, now I, I don't read Hebrew, but I study it, and I've been trained in it a little bit. So I looked that up, and I was shocked and pleasantly surprised to find that that word tenderly in both passages literally can be translated as speak to the heart. Speak to the heart. So God is telling Hosea and Isaiah, um, speak to the heart, speak tenderly to my people, or is it going to be a time of comfort and consolation coming? It's the words rarely used in the, in the Old Testament. And then in verse 15, another direct connection to Isaiah 40, because the valley of Achor can also be translated as the valley of trouble with a capital T. And that valley, that place in ancient Israel had been indeed a place of terrible and horrible troubles for Israel back in the day before Hosea brought this word to them. Um, it was a place of deep turmoil and suffering for the nation. And by the time of Hosea, it was a desolate region, a wilderness. But now God is going to speak tenderly to the heart of his people. And, you know, this kind of still, quiet voice. But it's going to be a word that does what? Opens a door of hope. One translator said a plow, he's going to plow ground of hope in their hearts. I love that. I don't really want to plow in my heart, but I think if the Holy Spirit's doing it, it's okay. <laughs> so we're given another, you know, direct connection there between the word that's coming to Isaiah and the word that's come to Hosea. In the New Testament, this consolation and comfort that we're talking about, um, in Luke 2.25, you'll know, you'll remember Simeon, right? He's got the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is resting upon him, and it says that he's waiting, he's waiting for the consolation of the Lord, waiting in the temple area for the consolation of the Lord. Maybe he was really well-versed in Isaiah chapter 40, waiting on the Lord. And then Jesus gives the promise to his disciples uh, in John chapters 14 through 16, uh, several times there about the Holy Spirit coming to be the comforter, or what we call the paraclete. You're familiar with that word, I'm sure. The paraclete is the comforter, the, the one who brings comfort, and he will come, and he came on Pentecost. I mean, the disciples were kind of in like the same condition ancient Israel was. They were in despair and sorrow and grief because Jesus was going away and they didn't know what to do. He said, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. I'm going to send the Spirit, the paraclete, the comforter to be with you. And then Jesus makes that clear to them in Acts 1-4 where he tells them to wait for the promised gift of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete which the Father will send, which then comes at Pentecost. I have a scripture here, just two more, and then we'll close and have a time of waiting on the Lord for prayer. I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians. These are real well-known verses, but there's a curious thing that I just loved as I was thinking about this morning. 
that I just love here. Um, I'm going to read it from the King James because the King James really brings out I don't know if you like the King James Version as much as I do. If you haven't grown up with it, maybe not. But it's, it's kind of like more literal than, than a lot of the translations today, only because 400 years have moved on since. But it really brings out this idea of comfort and consolation. Listen to these words from Second um, Corinthians chapter 1. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation abounds by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation which is effectual in enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope in you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of our suffering, so also shall ye be of the consolation. Ten times I did the homework for you in that passage. The word comfort and consolation is the same word in the Hebrew, and it's the word parakletus, paraclete. He's talking about the Holy Spirit there. He's talking about ten times. Do you think Paul is on him? <laughs> wants his Corinthians to get, get his point? They would have known that. We don't see that unless we have the Bible study aids to go figure that out. It's just a couple, couple odd English words to us that we don't hear too much in this time of turmoil in our nation or in our churches where everybody's at others, each other's throat and stuff. I better shut up. Um, and one, just one more. Um, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Again, I'm going to read from uh, uh, the, the King James. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love... If any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels, tender bowels, that's Jeremiah, my bowels, my bowels, I'm pained, he says. I'm pained. Why? Because the word of the Lord is on him, because the people of God are suffering, and he's been called to bring this word to them that he doesn't want to do, because it will be what? Rejected. And it'll be thrown in a pit because of it. He's pained, he's pained. This is Paul here writing to the Philippians. about this. He's about to tell them about the sufferings of Christ. If there be any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and tender mercies. How many of you know God is a God of everlasting tender mercies to his people, even when he's disciplining them? Fulfill ye my joy that, be, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing, nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, each esteem the other better than themselves. Let not every person look on his own things, but also on the things of others. So let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And you know the rest of that when Paul brings in that 
early church hymn. It's a poetic hymn that they sang back then about how Christ emptied himself and suffered the death of the cross and we're to have that mind in us. Those are just a few verses I want us to think about now as we stop. I'm not going to talk anymore about Scripture. I'm hoping that the Lord has us sort of assembled here today, whether you're online watching, participating as a visitor, those of you who are members, regular attenders here. We want to wait on the Lord now. Uh, The passages that I read and tried to get us to reflect on are about God speaking tenderly to our hearts. We've spoken a lot about our hearts in the last six months here through prayer meetings, special prayer meetings, messages from the pulpit, conversations that's going, that have gone on, um, messages in the past. It seems like God has been emphasizing the refiner's fire upon our hearts for quite a while here, not just in the past six months. And he's been at work in our hearts, and we're thankful for that, even though it hurts at times and it's painful. But he's bringing us to the place he wants to be in, in this local church called Evergreen. <clears throat> so we want to take a time now to wait on the Lord. We thought it was kind of time to do this, you know. The Lord was kind of saying, let's do this now. And then we're, we're you know, take a few minutes in quietness. Search your hearts. Ask the Holy Spirit. Ask God, the Lord, to search your hearts. And at a certain point, um, we'll, we want you to come up for prayer. One of the elders will pray for you. Uh, we've asked in case there's an extra need for the, some of our wives are willing to pray for you. Um, there'll be a couple of elders or other wives in the back. If you're unable to come up here for prayer, uh, we'll come and we'll come to your seat and pray for you there. Um, whatever you want prayer for. But now let's just take some time <clears throat> in quietness and don't worry about the stillness. Um, God will be with us. And then at, in a few minutes... Um, We'll open it up for prayers. And whatever God's been speaking to your heart, you come and pray with one of us here in the front or in the back. And then we'll close and have communion. Thank you.